Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless us as we spend time in your word, that word that is truth and life. We ask that you sanctify us by that truth, the truth of Jesus, our Savior, our Rock, and our Redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. So welcome back to our fifth and final week of our sermon series called Hidden Gods. Now, if you've been with us the last four weeks, you know that a hidden God is a good thing. It's a blessing from God that at times we make a God thing. But it's a good thing that, that sometimes we put too much emphasis on it. We put that in the number one spot instead of him. And these things can so easily become an idol. And so we've looked at that, and then we've also looked to Jesus to expose those idols, to, to hunt them down, to root them out, and to get rid of them with his saving grace. Remember week one? Right, the hidden God of approval. We all want to be approved of. We all want to be loved. We want to be liked. And God says, well, I already do. Because of Jesus, God not only loves you, he actually likes you, and he wants to spend eternity with you, and he made it possible through his son's death and resurrection. Week number two, we talked about that hidden God of appearance, right? God's word says, you know, physical training and taking care of yourself has some value. That's not wrong, However, if you want true beauty, if you want beauty that will never spoil or fade, then look to Jesus. Because of what he has done for you, the Father looks at you, and what does he see? He sees his beautiful, forgiven sons and daughters. We three, we talked about money, how God blesses us with money and possessions to use but sometimes we take that to an extreme and, and we learn that our security does not come from our paychecks, it doesn't come from our 401ks or our retirement accounts, it comes from Christ who gave up everything, who became poor for us so that we might be rich in forgiveness, love, and his mercy. And then last week, we talked about the hidden God of sex. And we talked about how God gives us sex as a beautiful blessing to enjoy in a marriage between a man and a woman and we talked about the times that maybe we've all failed because Jesus even says, even if it's up here, if you've had lust, you've sinned. And so we were reminded that, that your title is not what your internet browsing history says. You're not an adulterer. You're not promiscuous. No, you are a forgiven, loved child of God because of Jesus who paid even for those sins. So today, we're talking about our fifth and final hidden God. And it might be the most tricky one to navigate, because it might be the greatest blessing or one of the greatest blessings that God has ever given to us. And that's the hidden God of relationships. Whether it's our, our spouses, our children, our parents, our boyfriends and girlfriends, our fiancés, our best friends, right? God has given us this amazing blessing of relationships. Now, one of the reasons I think this is a, a tough one to navigate is because I, I don't know if we often look, especially the family, right? If we think about our, our spouses and our kids and our parents, I don't know if we always identify them as a potential hidden God in our lives, right? Because as I thought about it this week, you, you know, if you talk about family to most people, 
they have a very high opinion of it. No matter the background, no matter whether you came from a stable home growing up or, or maybe it wasn't so good, people will still th- say things like, well, family's everything and blood is thicker than water. And I think that kind of crosses all lines around the world. In fact, we think so highly of the relationships we have in our families that we even attach it to the other ones, right? We say, here, this is our church family. Or maybe that's your work family, or it's your military family, or it's your family, right? Friends who have become just like family. And so family, it's a huge, amazing, awesome blessing that God has given to us. But, could could that blessing, could those relationships possibly lead us actually away from God? Is it possible that, that relationships, whatever they might be, no matter how good they might be, have the potential to turn our hearts, not to God, but from God? Relationships, maybe, that we're willing to do anything to have them and to hold them and to keep them, but at what cost? I remember when I first started dating my wife. And we would do anything to be together. Right? I, I would drive tons of miles. She was going to school in one location. I was going to school about 30 plus minutes north, depending on the traffic. And I was willing to drive that route every day, sometimes two, three times a day, if it meant I got to be with her. But I was willing to throw gas in the car, no matter the cost. I was willing to spend money on going out to lunch and dinner and taking her to movies just so we could be together. I was even willing to give up sleep. Remember the times dropping her off at her dorm and I still had that trek up north and then I knew I wasn't going to get to bed till probably after midnight and then I had to get up super early and put on a coat and get to class at the seminary pretty early in the morning, but I was willing to do it just so we could be together. Because isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do in our relationships? We are willing to spend time and money and energy and even giving up sleep and sanity just to be around those we love the most. Perhaps famous scholar and poet Bruno Mars put it best. Have you ever heard of him? He said this, he said, I'd catch a grenade for you. I'd throw my hand on a blade for you. And right now, some of you are singing this in your head. You're welcome. I'd jump in front of a train for you. You know I'd do anything for you. <laughs> right? Amen, Bruno Mars. If I asked you, will you be willing to lay down your life if you're married for your spouse, I guarantee every married person in here would say yes. If I asked you parents, would you lay down your life? Would you step in front of a train for your children? All the parents said yes if that's what it took. Because here's the deal. These relationships are amazing blessings from God. If you are in a marriage, if you have kids, if if you're dating, if you have a best friend, if you have family and friends, thank God for them. Because they're huge blessings. But be careful. Be careful that those relationships that are so good from God don't turn into something that turns your heart away from him. 
Because it happens. God knows it happens, and that's why God's going to address it today in a section of God's Word from 1 Kings chapter 11. God wants to to show us the dangers of what might happen if we make family, if we make our relationships God instead of him. And in order to do that, God takes us to the palace of the third king of Israel. You know who that is? Who's our Bible history scholars? Yeah, you're pointing at him. He's sitting in the house today. Solomon! Right? You have King Saul was the first king. King David, Solomon's daddy, was the second king, probably the most well-loved and well-known. And then you got Solomon, who reigned for a really, really long time in Israel. Did you know that Solomon also wrote three books of the Bible? All right, Bible scholars, what are they? Solomon wrote? Song of Solomon, good. Ecclesiastes. And Proverbs, yay, right? He wrote three books of the Bible. And did you also know that that God tells us in, in the book of Samuel that when he was a young man, probably just in his teen years, God comes to him and he gives him a blank check. Now think about this, right? He was probably mid to late teens, maybe early 20s, but think about if somebody came to you at that age and said, whatever you want, I will give to you, it's yours. That's what God does for Solomon. And so what would he ask for? Wealth? Right? God, make me even richer than I already am, because remember, he's, he's the son of the king. He could ask for that, more wealth. He could ask for power and fame, make me even more powerful than my dad and expand my kingdom. He could ask for women. He could ask for the for his enemies to be placed right here in his hand on a silver platter so that he and and the nation can live in peace. There's anything and everything that he could ask God. You know what he asked for? Wisdom. He asked God to give him wisdom and a discerning heart so that he could rule God's people God's way. And God was pleased with that. And so God not only gives Solomon wisdom, he gives him so many more blessings. And at first, everything's going well. Everything's going fine until the hidden God of relationships rears its ugly head in his heart and in his life. Let's listen to what happened. We're told that King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. See what happened to Solomon? He loved his relationships. Particularly, Solomon loved women. I'm not even going to go there. I don't even know where to start. I mean, 700 wives... That's just the wives. And so Solomon has a problem with women, and he marries a lot of them. And no doubt he married for different reasons. Some he maybe did marry for love. He truly loved that woman. 
Some of it he married for lust. Kind of talked about that last week. He married for political alliances. And, but no matter why he married these women, God did not like it at all. Not only was he disobeying God by having all these wives, he also married foreign women that we just heard God said to his people and to Solomon, don't do it. Nevertheless, Solomon did what Solomon wanted, and God was not happy. And maybe the biggest reason God wasn't happy, yes, he was sinful rebelling, but, but it's because he knew what would happen. Right? It's not like God was necessarily anti-foreign ladies, in fact, if you look at Jesus' family tree, there's foreign women in it. But God knew that these foreign women surrounding his people all worshipped other gods. They did not worship him. And he knew if they intermarried, if they started having relationships with them, those women would turn the hearts of his people away from him toward those false gods. Right? God knew that Solomon, as he married all these women, that they would turn his son's heart to those gods and away from him. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. As he got older, as he married more and more of these ladies, he no longer was fully devoted to the Lord. And then I think things got really bad. Right? We're told, going on in 1 Kings, that he, Solomon, followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burnt incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. Do you recognize some of the names of these gods? If you were here in week one, we kind of walked through most of those, right? Ashereth, you, you have this fertility god, and, and like many of the other gods in ancient times, you know how they worshipped? Sex. Right? You'd go to church, there'd be temple prostitutes, you'd sleep with them in an act of worship to this god, and you would have sex to receive blessings from that God. And then Molech, remember him? He, he was that statue that they would make out of iron, and they would stoke the fires underneath these outstretched arms of that God until the arms and the hands were glowing red hot. And then as they, they banged their drums and maybe, maybe played their trumpets and screaming and dancing and shouting, they would bring Molech their most treasured sacrifices. And you know what they would bring? Their baby boys and their baby girls. And they would take their babies and they would place it into the hot, searing hands of Molech until they were dead. And you know who is responsible for that? Solomon. He built these temples, he built these statues for all his ladies. And you know what God thought about that? We're told the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice, although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, 
Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Right, Solomon's actions had consequences. Solomon's rebellion against God when it came to this hidden God of relationships that he chased after, there, there was consequences. The kingdom would be torn from his family because that's what happens whenever we turn from God. There's always consequences. It's almost hard to believe, isn't it? Right, Solomon! Solomon, a guy who writes three books of the Bible that we read to this day because it's God's word. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he didn't remember and follow the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods. And for him, at least in this particular section, that hidden God was the God of relationships and those wives and women that he hung out with. Friends, this, this can happen so easily to any of us, can it? Maybe you don't have 700 wives, but maybe it's that spouse of yours that you, you put on a pedestal too high and expect too much from, and if they can't give it to you, you get upset. Maybe it's the, your children that, that under the, well, I just want to give them something that I never had. You, you actually have given them too much and you've forgotten to give them the most important thing, Jesus. Or maybe it's your parents. You look up to them and you want to please them in every way, but, but maybe it's grown to be not a healthy relationship. Or maybe it's a fiancé, maybe it's your boyfriend, maybe it's your girlfriend who you're willing to cross lines for, lines that God has established all in the name of love and that relationship. But it's so easy. It's so easy to worship this God. It's so easy to, to, to be tempted by this God and, and, and maybe even think it's a good thing when maybe it's not always. And I think maybe the reason this temptation is so hard for all of us is because it's a huge blessing and because God actually created us to live in community, in relationships with one another. Right, God made you to be together with other people. Did you know that? You can go all the way back to Genesis. What does God say? It's not good for man to be alone. So God makes suitable helpers. He gives wives and husbands. He gives parents and kids. He gives boyfriends and girlfriends, family and friends. He puts them together to live in community. It's a good thing. But... If we're not careful, it can become a God thing. Something that leads our hearts and turns our hearts away from God just like it happened to Solomon. So what are we going to do about it? Well, what have we said each and every week that we are to do what God wants us to do with any of these hidden gods? 
Well, step one, root them out, hunt them down. Expose them for what they are. Don't make excuses, don't justify them. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of harmless because we've seen every week, anytime we rebel against God, there's consequences and it's never harmless. Someone always gets hurt, if not us spiritually in the end. So find them, root them out, and then turn to Jesus. Because I guarantee you, whatever you're longing for in those relationships, nobody can give you fully except him. All right, so real quick, what what are some of the things that that we long for in our relationships? I, I think here's four big ones. You can add to your own list. Number one, someone who's got our back. Someone who's going to be there in good days and bad, through thick and thin. In fact, if you've been married, you probably even said that in your vows at your wedding, right? For better or worse, good days and bad, till death do us part. So so we long for somebody who's going to have our back. We want somebody who's going to also care for us. Somebody who's not just in the relationship for themselves, but they genuinely care about us, and they listen, and they empathize, and they're there for us. I think another big one is number three, right? Someone who forgives us even when we have made a mess. Even when we are the ones who sinned against that person or somebody else, someone who forgives us and then doesn't come back two weeks later, two months later, two years later, says, remember when you did that? No, it's forgiven. Then number four, this kind of encompasses all of them, someone who loves us unconditionally who loves us when we're at our best, but also loves us when we're at our worst, who loves us when we're on top of the world, who loves us when we're in the pit, who loves us when when we're doing well, and who loves us even when we have imploded and our life is in shambles, somebody who will love us no matter what. And you know what the hidden God of relationships says? I can give you all these things. I can give you all of them just so long as you do this. Right, remember what we said about idols? Idols promise blessings, but you have to give it a sacrifice. Friends, there, there's nobody who can fulfill all of these, not fully, not perfectly, not your spouse, not your kids, not your family, not your friends, not your fiance, not your boyfriend or girlfriend, not your BFF. They just can't. It's impossible. Because right, ever since the fall into sin, we've been really good in our relationships at letting each other down, hurting each other, sinning against one another. So, so no one can do that. I mean, isn't that why even the best marriages have issues? Why even the most loving parents at times still fly off the handle, yell at their kids, break promises? Why even... Our, our, our good kids, or we call them good kids, will still rebel, sass back, maybe at some point distance themselves and only call us when they need something. Isn't it why even our best friends and, and those closest to us at times hurt us? Say things that, that cut? Friends, if you want somebody who can fulfill all these things and do it perfectly, if you want somebody who will love you, listen to you, care for you, forgive you, and not hold it against you, don't look to your human relationships. Enjoy them for what they are, but don't expect them to do that. 
or you will be always disappointed, angry, and frustrated. No, instead look to him, because there is somebody who promises all these things and delivers. Now, there is someone who says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will never turn from you. There is someone who says, I care for you. In fact, I don't just care for you. When you're in a a day of trouble, I want you to run to me and call on me and I will come to you and I will deliver you and it's going to be okay. There is someone who says that they forgive you and even for that sin too. And he says, I'm never going to come back at an unopportune time and say, remember when you did this? No, I've, I've removed it as far as the east is from the west. There is someone who says that they will love you unconditionally. Your good days and bad, when you're covered in sin or when you're doing well, because he's going to come and he's going to remove the sin from you and forgive you and save you. You want to be loved? You want help? You want forgiveness? You want somebody to be there all the time? It's going to be God that does it. Because he promises And you know why you can believe and trust your father's promise? It's because Jesus really gave up his relationship with the father for a time for you. Do you know that? Jesus chose to leave his father's side in heaven. And they had the perfect relationship. If you think you have a good relationship with with a family member, God the father and the son had a perfect relationship. Yet Jesus chose to leave heaven to leave his father's side, to come here so that he might find you. Jesus, he came and willingly went to a cross and said, I will be separated from my dad. I will let death and Satan and hell divide us so that you will never know what it's like to be separated from your father in heaven. But it's Jesus who came and he gave his life on that cross to pay for all of your sins, even the times that we've ran after the hidden God of relationships or any of the others. He says, I'll pay for it, and I did. And now because of what Christ has done, you're forgiven. You're saved. You're set free. Death, forget about it. It can't hold you because there's a story called Easter where Jesus punched it in the mouth and defeated it for you. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. And if you know that truth by faith, you will never have to worship the God of relationships again because you have everything you need in him. Can I leave you with one more thought today? Being a Reformation, I, I can't help but think of, of what guys like Luther and others did for us. God used them to remind us of our greatest gift. You know what your greatest gift is? It's not your spouse if you're married. It's not your kids. It's not your, your relationships or, or anything else. It's the gift of faith. It's that gift of faith to know and believe and trust in Jesus as your Savior and what he has done for you. And God used guys like Luther and others when that truth was almost lost, that we're saved by God's amazing grace through faith. And and what did Luther and the others do? They didn't keep it to themselves. They shouted it out. They took the torch and they passed it on to the next generation so that you, today, would know it. Because somebody told your great-grandparents, somebody told your grandparents, who told your parents, who told you. 
And you know what God wants us to do with that gift of faith? Not keep it to yourself. Not keep your mouth shut. He says, I want you to take that torch of the gospel and I want you to pass it on to the next generation. I want you to take that amazing gift of faith and the message of Jesus and I want you to tell your kids. May that be the first thing you teach them and tell them because that's the only thing that matters and lasts. I want you to tell them that they have a God who loves them too. That they have a Savior who bled out and died to forgive them. I want you to pass that torch of the gospel to them so that they might know Jesus and so that our children and our children's children and the children after that will never have to bow a knee and worship the God of relationship or any others again because they have everything they need in Jesus Christ. Amen.